Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Creative Careers in Medicine podcast. I'm Andrew Bracey and in this interview series, we talk to doctors about the amazing and fascinating things they're doing in and alongside their medical lives as they forge their own creative careers in medicine. Now, obviously this episode is coming to you at what is a pretty surreal time for us all as we um, deal with the um, developing COVID-19 situation. Um, on behalf of everyone at CCIM, I want to send out another huge thanks to everyone who's been responding to Amandeep's call out and have registered their details for the National COVID-19 Helpline. Um, of course, massive thanks as well to those of you who have helped share the links and get the information out. Um, it all helps. Um, at this time, um, at the time recording this, uh, CCM has more than 1,100 expressions uh, of interest uh, that have come in. It's just staggering. Um, so thank you again. It's a huge task coordinating all of that, of course, though. So please be patient. Um, people will be in touch with you to let you know how you can help as we sort out the next steps. Um, Obviously, CCIM is not immune to the fallout of the virus, uh, so I need to let you all know. Um, uh, you may have already seen already that CCIM 2020, uh, the conference was due to be happening in June, is now postponed. Um, all things going well. Um, it will now be happening on the 12th and 13th of December at the Novotel Sydney Brighton Beach. Um, if you've already registered for the event, CCIM will be in touch with further details um, very soon. It's going to be a huge event still, hopefully, and we'll see you there this summer for a couple of days of fun, learning, and partying. And um, if you do have any concerns or queries in the meantime about that event, please contact the team. Uh, the email you can get to them at is hello at creativecareersinmedicine.com. And of course, in the meantime, the CCIM membership program remains open. You can uh, learn more about all the opportunities and exclusive member benefits that come with that at the CCIM website, creativecareersinmedicine.com. So on to our guest for this episode, Dr. Jess Foley. Jess is an Adelaide-based GP registrar who some of you may know uh, better for her, her basketball exploits as a WNBL captain and championship player um, and also a rep Australian representative player. Um, some people may well know her for her more recent Aussie Rules career, which saw her playing in the Adelaide Crows side that won the AFLW Premiership last year um, in a grand final played in front of a crowd of 53,034 cheering fans. In this chat, just talks about her own journey through sport, what it was like to play in that AFLW grand final, um, a historic day for women's sport, how she came to pursue a career in medicine later in life, uh, what it's been like to take on a new sport and what her experience playing footy and basketball has done to not only balance her medical career, but to help prepare her for a life as a doctor. This interview was recorded on Friday, 20th of March. Um, I just wanted to say that given everything that's going on with COVID-19, there may well be a lot of things that change between now and when you hear this. Um, but just when we spoke, it was just a few days after the AFL had made the decision to, at that stage, continue with the AFL men's competition while shortening the AFL women's competition in response to COVID-19. So with all that still very fresh and the men's comp having commenced the previous night, I started by asking Jess what the last few days had been like for her, both as a GP at the coalface, dealing with the public and the concerns of her patients, and also as an athlete in a world where leagues like the AFLW and the AFL men's competitions have had to grapple with difficult questions about whether to suspend or continue with their seasons in light of all the associated health risks. It has been a crazy time, I think, for everyone in the community, and there's a, a, certainly a lot of 
uncertainty around what we should be doing. Should we be playing football? Um, should we be staying at home? And I've just tried to roll with the punches in terms of the decisions that the AFL make. And I think that their decision-making will continue to evolve anyway. And um, I'll just continue to work and um, deal with, you know, COVID in the, in the community. And, um, you know, we just have to, to go with those decisions about AFLW. And I think they've probably made the right decision in terms of um, getting into finals and trying to get a result for the women. Um, our season's certainly over, but I guess um, being in the GP clinic, I'm seeing it from many different sides. You know, there's a lot of concern out in the community. Um, you know, I don't think we've been heavily impacted in terms of uh, the numbers number of cases um, here in Australia yet, but, um, you know, there's a bit of fear around, you know, how, how rapidly that'll increase. So, yeah, it's been an unusual time, it's certainly unprecedented. How about in terms of um, the, the Crows situation? Because, I mean, from from on that front, I mean, obviously there were a lot of decisions to make about whether um, it was safe to continue playing, whether it was more appropriate to put everything on ice. Obviously the... Um, uh, as a lot of people might know, that the decision was made to continue just a, a sort of a shortened version of a final series that will start this weekend as we're recording this. Um, what was that, pu- that process like this week in terms of having to, to make those? Because I understand there was um, there, there were surveys done of, of the players and, and everyone involved. What, what was that process like for you, have, given your, your sort of medical background? Yeah, I, I guess it was difficult for me because, um, you know, I've got two hats on. I suppose I've got my footy hat on, and um, but also my sort of uh, medical hat on as well. So, um, you know, I think that they were con- the, the AFL did a good job of consulting with the right people um, to come up with their decision. Um, you know, and I think it's still probably evolving. It's been such a a big what ten days or so. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the decision that they've made currently could change at any moment, I think, you know, you know, if a, if a case of COVID comes up in the, you know, an AFL player um, playing in the next couple of weekends, it might change everything entirely. So, um, you know, it's, it's a tricky thing to navigate and I don't know, you know, do we know if we're making the right decision yeah. or the AFL is making the right decision? Um, I guess only time will tell. I mean, it's fairly surreal. I mean, I- I'm not sure if you you watched last night yourself, but the the game at the MCG between Carlton and, and Richmond, which with, with first time um, with, with the MCG completely empty of spectators, it's a fairly surreal sort of a time to be um, to be thinking about professional sport at this point. Yeah, it was it was quite unusual to see the MCG empty, and it sort of looked like it was a bit of a, a training run or a practice run out there. It's certainly still a good game of football to watch, but um, you know it. It is so unprecedented. We don't know. You know, this has never happened before. Um, You know, are we doing the right thing? Um, It certainly feels a bit strange. And I guess I can only look at it as, you know, there's still football being played, um, but there's people losing their jobs Mm. in many industries. Mm. You know, small businesses are going bankrupt. Um, You know, if if we don't get to play football for a short period of time, 
um, in the context of what's sort of happening in the wider community. Um, sometimes we might just have to cop that, you know, mm-hmm. there's been wars and things, but, you know, all the memes on Facebook, it's, it's pretty relevant. It's been some pretty big things happen through history and we've been lucky to, you know, have football um, just be such a staple in our society for so long um, that, you know, we might just need to take a hit and, and rebuild. Is it something that um, that you would normally are you are you someone that tries to keep these things separate? Um, yeah, you know, the dual sort of um, parts of of your life, the the football and, and the medicine. I mean, what um, is, is that something that you would normally try and and, and isolate those two things? And, and what's this, this sort of this this recent period done in terms of sort of bringing those two worlds together for you? You you're forty in, in the medicine. Yeah, I, I guess um, one of the great things about playing sport for me is that it's an escape from medicine. So, you know, I finish work for the day, I'll go straight to training and you have to be fully immersed in training at that level. You know, it's physically demanding. Um, you've got to be enthusiastic when you show up. So for me, it's a bit of an escape. And in the, in the same way, medicine is an escape from footy. So I know a lot of players um, get really you know, they feel the pressure of the season and upcoming games and that sort of thing. But usually I'm coming from work and I'm not really thinking about footy until right until the moment I get there. So, um, yeah, I do keep them sort of separate. But, you know, there's the odd occasion where a teammate will um, pop a finger out at training and, and I might need to use my expertise <laughs> there. So um, not completely separate. Yeah. I mean, what's the? I mean, what's the impact? Like, are, are you having to feel much in the way of questions around? You know, I'm sure everyone that that, that around you has has a lot of questions and concerns around what what's happening with with COVID. Is that something that you've that that that's people have been coming to you with, or is that something that the club medical staff are very much sort of that's that's their role in keeping players updated and, and informed about what's going on? No, I um. So during the week, um. We did get to, you know, when there was still a bit of uncertainty about Mm. whether we'd be playing this weekend, um, we went out to training on Tuesday night and um, I actually spoke to the whole group. Um, Our team doctor was there as well and he he added some things. But, you know, being in a GP um, sort of position, we're getting a lot of information Mm. every day about COVID and um, I think the girls appreciated just getting some um, real sort of um, knowledge about you know, what to expect and, and what, you know, we're actually looking for in cases and things like that because, you know, people are waking up with sore throats and yeah. thinking, oh, God, I've got it. Exactly. But, um, you know, there's pretty clear criteria. So, yeah, definitely, um, you know, a lot of the girls were asking questions and I think that, um, you know, just through more information, people are feeling a bit more comfortable about the whole situation. Sure. And how, I mean, how's it impacted your, your, your working life as, as a GP registrar? I mean, obviously this is, as you say, unprecedented, this is a, a completely new territory for, for a lot of people. What's, what's it been like at the clinic in terms of you trying to um, adjust to, to the, the new sort of um, uh, atmosphere that we have um, around doctors' clinics and that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, it hasn't changed things greatly. Mm. Um, we do have more people coming in concerned mm. about it and um, wanting testing, but um Really, I've been doing a lot of education at work as well. So, you know, the just, um, you know, letting the wider community know um, what we're, what, like, what we're testing, um, you know, why the measures are sort of in place, um, who we're trying to protect in the community. Um, So, yeah, I'm doing much the same thing, just, you know, talking to people and trying to understand some of their concerns and, uh, and manage their symptoms and, and problems as best as you can. So shifting back 
a little bit focused back to your own story away from COVID for a while, hopefully. Um, <laughs> it's because I think we've all had enough of that, certainly. Um, it's hard to know where to start. I mean, because you've had such uh, an incredible career to this point. Um, so perhaps if we start sort of pre-football, of course you had a, a highly decorated basketball career um, going from the AIS to eventually um, an, a WNBL championship with the Adelaide Lightning in 2007. And um, I'm sure it comes up a lot, but obviously you, you're playing alongside one of your AFL Crow, uh, you, you know, AFLW um, Adelaide Crows teammates and Aaron Phillips in that championship, I understand. You, you captained yep. the Lightning, you know, um, You've represented Australia a number of times. You spent some time in the US as well um, at one of the, you know, the more um, uh, famous um, US colleges in, in Duke, I understand. Were you mm -hmm. always a, a sporty kid? I mean, did you always have, have ambitions of what you might be able to achieve in sport? I was definitely a sporty kid. So I played every type of sport growing up. I'm from a uh, country town in um, northeast Victoria, Wodonga. Mm -hmm. So I, I had um, older brothers and an older sister and yeah, I was playing tennis and little athletics, netball, basketball growing up. Um, I sort of was part of everything. I loved watching the Olympics. I think that was my ultimate goal growing up was that I wanted to play in, in, in Olympics or, you know, um, in some form or another. But uh, I don't think I aspired to be a professional athlete growing up. Uh, and I, I think it was a pretty um, pretty lucky, pretty fortunate um, uh sort of pathway for me. So to get sort of 12 years out of basketball and to be able to travel travel the world, world and make a, a living from it was pretty special. Um, but I certainly didn't grow up aspiring to do that. <laughs> How did basketball be become the path, obviously, with all those different options available? Was it just the one that you were best at or what, what, what was the attraction there? I think it was just the one um, where the opportunities opened up. I certainly loved it. I, uh, I had a basketball ring in my backyard and I used to, I think we had a, um, a clothesline directly in front of the the ring. So if I wanted to shoot free throws, I actually had to shoot through the, you know, the lines on the, um, on the, on the, oh, the clothesline between the, oh, the clothesline, yeah, <laughs> just to actually um, make my free throw. So that's probably why I've become an okay shooter. But well, yeah, I was going to mention obviously because you you did set a lot of re records along the way in terms of three point shooting. Is that sort of part of you know? It sounds like the Don Bradman school of, of training where you, know, you you set yourself with a with a very difficult challenge from a young age. <laughs> <laughs> not not through desire. I think that was just necessity. So yeah, I had to shoot through the lines of the clothesline or from behind it, which was definitely three point. So um, <laughs> perhaps that's that's where my success came from. But no, I I, um, I always had a ball in my hand growing up, and uh, you know uh, basketball just presented um, a few opportunities. You know, I sort of got selected for state teams, and um, and then to go to the AIS on a scholarship, um, and that from there, you know, they really accelerate your training. You know, at at the age of you know sixteen for a couple of years mm. to be training at a level uh, that Olympians are training at um, really does put you ahead of the curve. How, what was that like, you know, at the peak of, you know, when you're playing in those championship teams and, and representing Australia? I mean, what, what does it feel like when you're at that? So, I mean, you, you reach that sort of pinnacle in terms of Australian basketball. At the time, you don't really think about it that way. I guess um, you're always striving to achieve something else. So it seems like every time you make a goal, there's always something else um, ahead. Uh, you know, and for me, um, 
representing Australia was uh, a really big goal and I did get to do that but I didn't get to um, compete in an Olympics um, which you know so there was always something um, ahead that I was trying to achieve and I think that's just the mindset of most athletes is that you know never really satisfied um, mm. you don't ever sort of sit there and go oh well, look I'm pretty happy with what I've achieved you're always just trying to push the envelope a little bit further. And you Along the way, you, you did. There were some some down moments. Obviously, you had the the, the, the successes, but also I understand you. So you were drafted at some point to at one point to play in the WNBA, the the peak league in the US. Um, mm-hmm. But you, from what I understand, you missed out due to injury. What what was that period like for you? Was that did, you didn't get to play at all, or did you have to come home? What was it? A lot of rehab. What was that sort of um, period like? Yeah, so I I was drafted uh, from after finishing university in America and. Um, finishing four years playing college basketball at Duke, I was drafted uh, into the WNBA, but I came home uh, and had ankle surgery. Um, And so I ended up playing in Australia for a couple of years. And then finally, when I did go over um, to to try and make a roster, um, it's pretty, it's actually a pretty hard league to crack. So, um, you know, they had uh, 22 or so girls come into training camp and there was only one position available. So, right. um, you know, I was there for six weeks, played played a few practice matches, um, hurt my ankle again, which, um, you know, you just sort of had to play through because you're yeah. fighting for yeah. limited spots. But, um, you know, it was a great experience and, um, you know, it's a tough league. It's um, There's a lot of good players. They've got European players, American players. So um, sometimes you got to land in the right spot at the right time. But, um, yeah, for me it was it was all uh, a really good experience and I was pretty fortunate uh, to play in the WNBL for so many years mm. and got a, a year in Turkey as well so um, you know I was playing in good leagues and I was you know, pretty satisfied with my basketball career by the time it finished. I was going to ask you about that transition obviously when when did you know that it was time that basketball was it was it was time to wrap that up for yourself and you know what I'm also interested to know was sort of what role medicine played um, in that decision I mean was it already sort of on the on the cards from from your time studying at Duke Yeah that was when I certainly developed a big interest in medicine um, I shadowed a couple of doctors uh, while I was Um, studying at Duke and really um, became far more interested in it and it became uh, more of a realistic goal for me. I guess growing up I didn't really think about medicine and there weren't actually a lot of female doctors in Oberudonga so (laughs) I didn't really have any role models in that space but at, at Duke University that sort of opened my eyes to a few more possibilities. Um, I guess the point where I started thinking about medicine while I was playing basketball was when, you know, a WNBL season was coming to a close and I thought, oh, here's another six months that I have to fill in with, you know, playing in a state league or, you know, working a job that perhaps it wasn't quite as satisfying uh, until the next season comes around. And I thought, you know, I really, if I don't, you know, apply for medicine now I'll never do it and I pretty well applied to sit the games at on a whim uh, and it all snowballed pretty quickly so within a year I was um, yeah signing on to to study medicine. What was that transition like for you I mean were you ready for obviously obviously like you say it was it was a bit of a whim I mean had you 
prepared mentally for that? I mean, and like perhaps what I'm interested to know also, like what sort of lessons that you learned through sport might have helped you prepare for, for what was ahead? Uh, like it, it did happen pretty quickly, but I was fortunate that when I came back to Adelaide to study medicine, I was able to play with the Lightning for a few years. So I mm-hmm. played um, my first three years of uh, med school. Um, I actually played with the Lightning uh, and had a pretty – my routine didn't change that much, um, you know, from what it had been pre- Obviously, you know, I studied four years at Duke. I'd actually done a, a master's in groundwater hydrology um, while I was playing for the Lightning between sort of 2007 and 2011. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, studying and playing uh, sport was pretty uh, natural fit for me. Um, it gave me something to keep my mind on during the day. And um, basketball was something, again, that I could escape from the study and, and uh, you know, the, the hectic life that is med school, um, you know, in the evenings. So, yeah, it was all a pretty natural fit for me. Was it difficult being able to balance that with the the, the increasing demands, especially once once you got um, once you completed that degree and you got into your um, your, your internship um, and your and your general practice registrar training? What was I mean? Did I, I get the impression that basketball sort of fell to the wayside at some point along the way? Yeah. So basically, medicine. Um, you know, forced my hand. Mm-hmm. Um, it certainly, uh, you can't, you know, be traveling interstate and taking Fridays off um, during your internship. And you really want to be concentrating most of your time, I think, on medicine during that year. It's a pretty, you know, stressful time for a young doctor. So um, mm. uh, I was I was sort of forced to choose between uh, basketball and medicine. But really, at that point, I was very passionate about medicine and I think my love for basketball towards the end started to fall away. You know, I still enjoyed the games and I still enjoyed the intensity and the competitiveness of sport, but, you know, getting to training was becoming a bit of a slog and um, my body was sort of saying, oh, geez, this court's getting a bit harder. So (laughs) the the old joints were, um, yeah, starting to slow down a little bit because I didn't have that preparation that I used to have and all of the time to sort of spend recovering after games and things. So, you know, I, you, I, I think by the time I finished basketball, I was ready to finish. Uh, I think my last year of National League was 2015. Right, okay. And then um, I did play another year in the sort of state league here for Norwood and I was coaching the Norwood team as well. So it was another couple of years then until you ultimately took your first steps onto a footy field. I mean, given that yeah. you just given that you just sort of gotten over the you know, you know the idea of dragging you know the, the body and the joints through through basketball. What was what was the attraction to football? Um, obviously, because was it something you wanted to do as a kid? I know there are obviously there are limited um, uh, opportunities um, back back in when you would have been younger for, for girls to play footy. Is was that something that, that came into the mix for you? Is that there's something unfinished there on, on the sporting side? I absolutely loved football growing up. I was a huge fan. I would have loved to have played footy, and I'm sure I would have if there had been leagues for girls back then. Uh, So when the AFLW started um, season one, I was, you know, I I knew a few of the girls on the team. Obviously, I knew Erin Phillips. Uh, I knew knew the coach as well. Uh, So I went to every game, every home game for the Adelaide Crows that year. 
and I was just hooked from the get-go. I thought, this is awesome. And at that stage, I was doing my internship. So I, you know, I really didn't have the time for footy. Um, well, I didn't think I had the time. I ended up joining a local league during my internship um, because I sort of realised pretty quickly, even with how hectic and busy your internship year is in medicine, it is important to have a bit of balance outside and to have, you know, to to be exercising and doing other things as well. So, yeah, yeah, I ended up playing in a local league and I thought probably I'd get about two games and, you know, hurt myself. You know, you hear about all of the injuries of football. I thought, yeah, absolutely, my body won't handle it. But (laughs) You probably thought yourself, yeah, I'll do an ACL, I'll be be done in a few weeks. (laughs) Well, touch wood, I was hoping not for that. But I I did think, um, you know, the tendons and the joints wouldn't wouldn't love it. And um but actually, that softer surface, the um, you know the grass field, uh, was really nice uh, for me, and I, I I was you know pretty injury free for a couple of years there. So up until this year, yeah, well, I'll get to that in a second. Obviously, because you you I think you your ankle against Carlton a few weeks back. Um, but I guess before we get to to the, this season, I sort of want to talk about what the transition was like. You know, in terms of going from basketball to to a much higher contact sport, um, playing against um, seasoned hardened competition. What what was that? I mean, did you have any sort of fears or anxiety for about that or or, or were you just sort of ready to, to get in and get you know, get in amongst it? Yeah, I think I was pretty ready to get in amongst it. I mean, I'd been doing weights, um, you know, and I guess being being a bit older, out on a footy field, I'm actually one of the, the bigger girls, I guess. Mm. Um, certainly one of the taller girls. Um, so I I didn't find um, football uh, really physically demanding in terms of strength. Um, Basketball is a pretty high contact sport, actually. Mm. Um, some of the biggest hits I've ever had are still uh, <laughs> on a basketball court. So, um, yeah, I, I found the physicality of it. Uh, I loved it and um, took to it straight away. Um, yes, yeah, so I wasn't scared by that at all. Was it something that came naturally by the sounds of it? I mean, obviously you had, as you mentioned before, you had you know, some, some contacts and people you knew in the team that probably helped uh, to make that transition a little easier, people like Aaron Phillips and your coach as well. I mean, yeah. wh- what what were the hardest things to learn? Oh, certainly kicking and some of the finer skills were uh, not, not my best assets for <laughs> season one. But I do think uh, basketball players take to football pretty well. Um, there's a lot of uh, skills that naturally cross over just – sort of um, game awareness and and awareness of what's going on around you and how to move. Obviously, um, marking the ball is a skill that basketballers do pretty well. But, yeah, the kicking kicking wasn't my finest point. Um, I sprayed a few in training and got a few giggles in that that first season. What's that? I mean, what's that environment like? I mean, that you talk about balancing um, the the medical side of, of your career. I mean, it, it, it's a it must be. Um, I mean, how different is it having that that that, that real um, team environment where where everyone's in it and there is there's everyone's buying into that you know for, I mean it's only a very you know, comparatively short season um, mm. that you have for AFLW, but it there there must be so much focus and and, and dedication that's going into that, between that group of women. Yeah, I, having been around sporting teams most of my life, you know. 
from my early teenage years, that's a really natural environment for me. And I guess uh, that communication, the leadership, the um, camaraderie is something that I did notice was quite different around the hospital. You know, you you were on sort of uh, teams within the hospital where there'd be, you know, really good camaraderie and culture. Mm. But um, obviously some of that, um, you know, the the leadership and communication, the things that you sort of take for granted as an athlete because you build those skills over so many years, um, a lot of people don't have that in the hospital. They haven't had that sort of background and experience. Um, So it is quite interesting. I think that's probably one thing um, that I think we can do better at times in medicine is is actually speak to our peers and uh, encourage our peers. Um, you know, I think people are a bit surprised sometimes when I work with them when I'll sort of actually pat them on the back physically and, <laughs> and say, oh, that, you know, that was really good. You did a really great job. You know, people yeah. almost look shocked shocked but for me that's a natural thing to do is to just sort of um let your teammates know when they've done something well Uh, i think that's you know really important for for morale and and for people's well-being oh absolutely i mean you you hear so many horror stories of of the way that people um work together in in, in the environments that that people are working in 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 a lot of um, medical um, situations in the in you know the, the the worst end of the scale. Obviously, there are there are examples like you say that are that are much better. But I mean, it sounds like something that a lot of people can benefit from is that that sort of experience and that um that that perspective. Definitely, it, I suppose it, you know when I especially my first year in the hospital, it was something I thought about. Mm. You know, I thought, oh, I'm surprised that there isn't. Um, people employed within the hospital to actually teach a bit of, um, you know, teamwork and leadership and culture. Uh, I think it would be, you know, uh, businesses and, you know, in all other areas of society, they do bring people in to improve culture and to develop and build relationships among teams. But it's not something that you really see happening in hospitals. Talking about things that happen on football fields, obviously, Last year, the Adelaide Crows make the grand final um, and ultimately win win that day. What can you talk through about you know what that what that meant to you having having had such the success that you had in basketball and reinventing yourself as as a football player and reaching that peak again? What what was that season like for you? And also you know we can talk about the the grand final day itself as well. Oh, I still get. I actually just got the tingles thinking about it again because, um, you know, that day was. Well, the grand final was so special for me on so many levels. You know, having played sport for for many years, um, having fifty three and a half thousand people, um, and I don't. I don't think that the crowd who came to that grand final just came to watch a good football team or a good football game. I think that like generally the whole community here just were trying to get around women in sport. It did feel like and a celebration fe- of women's oh. sport to, to, to me as a fan as well. I mean, it's, it's interesting that, 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 that to hear your perspective on it. Yeah, I mean, it was the same watching uh, the Australian women's cricket team, you know, play in front of, what was it, 86-odd thousand people recently. Um, You know, it's, you know, people are really trying to support women's sport um, and, you know, the feel amongst the the crowd and, you know, when we were on the the ground that day, it was just sort of a celebration. It wasn't 
there was none of that, you know, our team versus your team. It was just like, oh, wow, this is awesome. You know, everyone was cheering. It was just such a beautiful thing to be a part of and something that I'll, I'll always treasure. But, you know, I guess um, it, looking back on that whole season, it was pretty special and we just had a really an amazing group of, of talented women who were just all really driven but playing for one another as well. So, yeah, I, I certainly um, – it was easy to look back and say, yeah, I made the right decision to play <laughs> football. One of the things I wanted to ask about you, we're talking about um, women's sport and some of the – one of the things is the pathway issue. And obviously one of the, the common stories in, in, in AFLW is players who might have Want be able to play as juniors, but were able to continue through when they hit a certain age because of a lack of leagues and, and options for them for for junior female players. Um, what's it like for you, who's you know obviously been in the league for a few years now? What's it like for you seeing some of the younger players like the Maddie Prasparkas of, of the league who who have been able to have much less interrupted um, journeys through and and seeing what what that actually can create when 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 female players are allowed to, to, to develop um, naturally the way that, that their male counterparts do? Look, I think the, the AFLW has evolved incredibly over four seasons. Mm. You know, the skill level, just the physical endurance and power and strength of the players has improved. Um, like the game just is going to continue to evolve. You know, probably I always say to people in, you know, 10 years' time, someone like myself won't be able to just, you know, pull on some boots and come across mm. to play football. You know, I think um, it's going to be um, those youngsters that have the skill set um, of football uh, will make it too hard for, for cross-coders to sort of step in and have as big an impact on the league. Mm. So, um, you know, the young ones coming through are incredibly exciting uh, and, you know, I'm just happy to be a part of it and to have been able to be a part of it. With the season now over, I mean, what does that mean for you personally? I mean, one, I mean, it might be too early to ask, but are you are you looking to, to continue on next year? Oh, I had, that is a decision I haven't made yet. So it's um, it's certainly uh, pretty early, and yeah. this I've, week is um, you know, a lot of sure. things have happened during the week, and yeah, and look, I I had a, a mixed year as well. I was injured for most of the preseason. Um, I did get you know three and a half games, um, but I was only really sort of starting to get going at that point. Mm. So um, you know, from a personal level, it was a pretty unsatisfying year. Um, and it's it's a bit probably a bit soon to make any decisions about playing yeah. on next year. But you know, I, I went straight back to work on on Monday um, <laughs> in the GP practice, and life's pretty busy. Yeah, I mean, is it? Um, is it... Away from football, so. I mean, you said before we started Sorry. recording. Yeah, no, that's okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just, I, I realised I put you on the spot a bit there. <laughs> so, no, that's all right. Um, I mean, is it, I think before we started recording, you mentioned that it, it is nice to sort of talk about something other than, than, than what's going on in the world with COVID and everything. But I mean, putting COVID specifically aside, is it, is it nice to be able to sort of step away from, from, from 40, given the disappointment of the season and have something else um, to be able to focus on and put your energy into? Oh, definitely. Um, as as soon as I step into work um, as a GP registrar, I'm completely focused and um, my my thoughts go away from football. So um, having something, you know, outside of football um, 
and, and, you know, having a secure job, you know, I feel incredibly fortunate. You know, some of my teammates work within the club and, you know, their um, departments have been shut down. Mm. Um, they're not allowed to go to the club. Um, some of the girls will lose their jobs. Uh, and I know that some of the girls uh, from AFL teams interstate have already lost jobs. So I feel incredibly fortunate to still have, um, you know, a job outside of football um, that will, you know, continue to be there and will also, you know, I'm, I enjoy it. I love it. It's, I'm passionate about it. So, yeah, I certainly um, at the moment with football over, I'm, I'm one of the fortunate ones. And finally, I guess we sort of touched on it a little bit before about some of the things that you think um, football um, has has done to to inform your your medical practice and, and help you. You know, you, you mentioned a couple of things about the, the culture elements, especially. Is there anything that from from medicine that's helped you become a better footy player? Do you think, or athlete? I think, yeah, I think probably just the perspective that medicine uh, gives you on a daily basis. You know, it's um when you're dealing with people who have sort of life-threatening illnesses or um, are certainly less fortunate than yourself and, uh, you know, you're, you're caring for them and seeing the impact of their medical illnesses on their theirs and their family's lives, it's pretty hard to um, become upset about missing a goal or, um, you know, the disappointments of sport. So for me, it's certainly given me a lot of perspective, almost a daily dose of perspective. And um, I think it makes you a better athlete because I, I don't stress about the small things. You know, when I don't play well, it doesn't, you know, sit with me anymore. I think earlier in my basketball career, sometimes I'd, I'd be up, you know, all night after a game thinking about all of the things that I didn't do right. Whereas, mm. you know, I sleep pretty well these days um, after after sport ends. Well, look, I might be a good place to leave it. Look, thank you so much, Jess Foley, for joining this Creative Careers in Medicine podcast, especially given what a crazy week it's been for you. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's nice to chat about something else. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed my chat there with Dr. Jess Foley. As a bit of a footy tragic, it was a huge thrill for me to speak with her and to hear some of the perspectives that she's gained um, over her time in professional sport and also her burgeoning medical career. I was very grateful that she was able to give up some of her time in what's been a very strange week for her. Uh, We're hoping to be back very, very soon with more interviews. But in the meantime, I wish you all the best as you deal with this health crisis. It's affecting not only you and your patients but obviously your family and loved ones so it's going to be a tough time for all of us but please remember to look after yourselves and each other this has been another embrace creative production for creative careers in medicine thank you very much for listening we'll be back soon with more interviews